Well, thanks, Tony. And uh, we are coming to the end of our little series on the heroes of the faith. So uh, let's bring it all home, shall we? It would be really helpful to have Hebrews chapter 11 open in front of you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do pray, soften our hearts now to receive your word. And we do pray, please remove from us any obstacles uh, that might uh, stop us from not just hearing your word, but being changed by it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, up on the screen now is a lady called Florence Chadwick. Uh, She's quite an amazing lady, actually. She was an American long-distance open-water swimmer. She was the first woman to swim the English Channel in one direction and then the first woman to do it in both directions. Uh, Quite an amazing thing, Uh, and it's one of her many, many firsts. Uh, But in 1952, she tried to swim from the coast of California to Catalina Island, which is a distance of about 26 miles or 42 kilometres. She endured choppy waters, possible shark attack, and extreme fatigue for 15 hours. Uh, it was getting late and, and a fog came in and uh, she just, she gave up. Uh, she, she just couldn't go on. And when they fished her out of the water, uh, she worked out she was less than a mile from her destination. She was almost there. And two months later, she tried again. Uh, this time the fog was even worse, but she made it. She made it all the way, that that full 42 kilometres. And uh, when she was asked afterwards, you know, what was the difference this time? Why did you make it this time but not last time? She said, well, the first time all I could see was the fog. But the second time I kept a mental image of that shoreline in my head while I swam. You know, visualising the destination was how she persevered in the journey through tremendous difficulty. So I want to ask you today, how much do you think about heaven? For me, honestly, it's not very much. Maybe it's just back to school, but I'm having a hard time visualising what the next week looks like, let alone visualising what eternity might look like. But I know it would help me more if I dwelled on it much more, if I reminded myself Uh, Often, uh, you know, that one day all of this will be over, all too soon this will all be over, and I'll have eternity to enjoy. That life is just like the water, getting a little shallower with every stroke, and that one day I will step out onto the beach of eternity, just like Florence Chadwick did in 1952. And that's where I want to lift our eyes today. Uh, We've worked our way through these last few weeks, we've worked our way through this great list of heroes and really what I want to do today is is bring it all together uh, and see that what they were looking forward to and what we are all looking forward to is the new creation, it's our eternal home and to lift our eyes to that great cloud of witnesses that surrounds us, cheering us on to get there. And in particular, to see the Lord Jesus Christ who has gone before us. Now, you probably know, of course, that uh, this all begins back in Hebrews chapter one, uh, Hebrews 11, uh, verses 1 and 2, uh, with a discussion about the nature of faith. Just come back there now and let me remind you of it again. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Now, of course, many in our community today believe that faith just means blind belief, Uh, you know, a mental process that 
replaces reason. Uh, you know, belief without evidence. That's what most people would say faith is. Or in its most extreme form, actually, it's belief despite evidence, despite any uh, lots of proof to the contrary. Uh, so faith would say is it's more like a superstition, uh, a blind leap in the dark. But that's not what faith is, according to Hebrews 11 verse 1. Faith is not belief without evidence, it's belief without sight. And it's the assurance of what we do not see. And we can believe things that we have not seen. We just need to have good evidence for it. And so what in Hebrews 11 have all these people been believing without seeing? And it is the final resurrection. The new creation, what we often call heaven. And why can't they see it? Oh, well, for a very simple reason. It hasn't happened yet. It's not here yet. And so what evidence have they got to believe it? The answer is they've been told about it. They have the promises of God. And that's what we've seen week after week after week, that Hebrews 11, it's, it's just a long list of people that God made promises to about the future and they believed God. They, they trusted that God would, would keep that promise that he made to them. So let me just remind you of a few of them very quickly. For example, Noah, verse 7. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. You know, God warned Noah that he would send a flood. And I, as I said before, I'm, I'm sure that when the flood came, I'm sure that when the water was over their heads, everyone believed God then. But when did Noah believe God? When God spoke. Noah believed, even though he hadn't yet seen the flood, because it was still in the future. And so he built the ark as God commanded and was saved. Or Abraham in, in verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. He did not see it. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. You see, by faith, God told Abram, go to a new land, go to a, a land that I've promised you. And Abraham both went there and he settled there because God promised that one day he and his whole family, they would own this whole land. Uh, and the whole, the whole chapter is filled with example after example of this. Sarah was promised a son and she trusts that promise. A little later on in verse 33, judges and kings and prophets are, are promised all sorts of things and they trust those promises. That's what faith is. It's a trust that God will keep his promises. Now, what are all the promises about in this chapter? Because one way or another, every single one of these promises is actually a promise to save people from death. That's what they're all about, if you want to sum them all up. And so Enoch is a great example. Have a look at verse 5. Enoch, by faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. Noah too was saved from death in the flood. Abraham was saved from the death of childlessness and given the life of descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky in verses 11 and 12. And the point is that all of these people, all of these promises are in some way to save these people from death. That's what they're trusting in. That's what they're hoping for. Their faith is in God to provide what he's promised. 
And yet, as we saw last week, right at the end of chapter 11, the writer of the Hebrews says that actually none of these people received what they were promised. Verse 39, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Now, how can that be true? They were all saved from death, weren't they? And, and yes, they were. You know, Noah, he built his ark. He was rescued from the flood. Abraham did get a, a son and, a, and even a family, even if it took a few generations. Isaac did get off his altar. How can the writer say that they didn't get what they were promised? And the answer is because they weren't just promised rescue from death for a time. They weren't just promised that they would be saved from death once. What they were really being promised is that they would be saved from death forever. Eternal life was what God was promising them. He was promising them a, a better resurrection, not just a resuscitation once, but actually to be raised to a new life that would go on for all time. And that's why some of them are willing to, to part with their lives now. In verse 35, women receive back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released, so that they might gain an even better resurrection. See, they knew that God saving them from death now was really just a picture of the greater salvation of their resurrection to come their better resurrection to an eternal life in a, in a new creation, citizens of the new city of God. And that's how they were able to keep trusting in God through some extraordinarily hard and difficult circumstances. But they did not see, but they believed what they had heard and they trusted God's promises. And again, Abraham and his family, they are a great example of this. First, verse 13, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had th been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had an opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. You see, the writer of the Hebrews, he actually tells us why God has not yet given all of these ancient heroes of the faith the better resurrection that he promised them. He said it in, in verse 40, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us, would they be made perfect? You see what God is doing? God is waiting for us to be saved. God is waiting for us, all of us now who believe in Jesus, before he brings us all together in the new creation so that we might enjoy it together and so that it might be the Lord Jesus who takes us all to that place where he wipes every tear from our eyes. Life with him. Life without sin. Life without pain or suffering 
or loss or death or even time. The kind of life of which even the best experiences that we have now, even the best moments that we have now, are but a a fleeting shadow by comparison. That's the life that we have been promised. And that's the life that all God's people will receive when the Lord Jesus Christ returns to take us home. An old missionary couple had been working in Africa for decades and they were returning back to New York City to retire. But they had no pension, they had no money in reality and their, their health was shot and quite frankly they were discouraged and broken after a lifetime of serving. And as it happened, they were returning on the same boat as uh, President Teddy Roosevelt, who was returning from Africa from one of his big game hunts. And as they pulled into the dock, the old missionary couple looked down and they saw enormous crowds gathered around where the the boat was due to dock, uh, and all these people straining to catch a glimpse of the great Teddy Roosevelt. But there was no one waiting for them. There was no one waiting to welcome them home. And the man turned to his wife upset and he said, you know, something, something is wrong here. Why should we, who've given up our whole lives in the service of God, and yet there's no one here to welcome us? This man, he comes home from a, from a hunting trip and everyone makes a fuss about him, but no one gives two hoots about us. And so they slipped unnoticed off the boat and went to a hotel to spend the night. And that night again, the man, he couldn't let it rest. He turns to his wife and he says, I can't take it. God is not treating us fairly. And his wife very wisely said, well, why don't you go into the bedroom and tell him about it? And he did. And a short time later, he came back out, but this time he was calm. And his wife said, well, you know, what happened? And the man said, it's all right. I settled it with God. I told him how bitter I was. I I poured out all my frustration that the president got this wonderful homecoming and yet there was no one to meet us when we came home. And when I finished, I felt as if God put his hand on my shoulder and said, yes, but you're not home yet. See, my brothers and sisters, we're not home yet. We're not yet where God has promised we will be for all eternity. Whatever our life is like now, it's not our home. And so what do we need to do now? Knowing that so many are waiting for the better resurrection when we have finished the race. And the answer is we are to run. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Finally, we get to the passage for today. Verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. It's 2024 this year. It's an Olympic year. And what's the grand finale of the Olympics? It is the marathon, and I love the marathon. It's, it's like, well, I love the marathon, not quite enough to actually you know, train and run one myself, but I love the marathon, um, and it, 
you know, the Christian life here is being likened to a race and, and likened to an endurance race, a marathon. Uh, and you know, like a marathon, it can be lonely and it can be hard. And you know, I always really feel for those marathon runners, especially when they're out there on the, on the road. They do, they look so lonely. Uh, they're, they're just there running. There's so much that can go wrong, so much that can hinder them. All they can feel is their pain. And yet the same can be true for the Christian life, can't it? There is so much that can hinder us. There's so much that can trip us up. The suffering, the sin the discouragement. There are so many things that can stop us from finishing the race. But do you know the part of the marathon that I like best? It's the part where they finally come around the corner and they, they run into the stadium, you know? After all that time on the road, all that, that labouring by themselves, um, when all they can hear is the kind of beating of their own heart and the laboring of their own breath and all they can, can feel is the strain in every part of their body. And all they can see is the stadium off in the distance and, but as they get closer, they can just begin to hear the buzz of the crowd and then they run through that corridor and then before they know it, they're inside the stadium and that buzz becomes the roar of 100,000 people leaping to their feet and cheering for them as they run, as the crowd screams, run. You know, that is, that's got to feel good, doesn't it? Tens and hundreds and thousands of people cheering for them to finish the race. Well, my brothers and sisters, you have millions upon millions of people cheering for you to finish the race. And around you is the great cloud of witnesses of Hebrews chapter 11. Every believer who has ever lived. And every single one of them is on their feet, yelling, run. There's Abraham, father of the patriarchs, receiver of the covenant. He spent his whole life walking, but now he's on his feet yelling, run. And there's Moses with his tablets, banging them together, yelling, run. And there's Noah. You know which one Noah is? He's had enough of water. He's the only one who doesn't stand for the wave. But he's yelling, run. And then there's Enoch looking around going, look, I never even died. But he's yelling, run. And there's Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego standing in the no smoking section, yelling, run. And everyone's calling for you and everyone's encouraging you, run. You see, the friends, the Bible is not just a book. The Bible is a stadium and it's full of people. And every time you open it, you can hear them yelling, cheering for you, saying, run, run. And you've seen marathon runners, haven't you? It's a tough run, a marathon. And so you don't want to carry a single gram of weight that you do not want to have to carry because that just makes the run harder. And that's what sin is, says Hebrews 12 verse 1. Sin is weight, weight you don't need, weight that, that makes the run harder and not just harder for you but actually harder for the other people running around you. 
And so run, but, but run in such a way that you throw off that sin, that you throw off every sin that entangles and hinders and, and slows you down. The commands of God that he gives us, they're not given to make our life harder. They're given to make our run easier. God is teaching us how to run, how to persevere in the endurance race that running the Christian life to the very end always is. And so my brothers and sisters, you may feel very alone in your run, but you're not alone. The church family is with you. The great, great cloud of witnesses, every Christian person that has ever lived is cheering you on. And more importantly than anything else, Jesus is with you. Because he is the one who has gone before us. Hebrews 12 again. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. See, what's the ultimate encouragement to us all? Jesus has run the race before us. Jesus is the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. He's cleared the path. He's made it possible to run. He's died the death that we deserved. And he's given us the rich reward that only he deserved. He's risen in the way that we will rise. In fact, if you want to see the resurrection that we've been promised, if you want to see the new life that we've been promised as clearly as you possibly can, then fix your eyes on Jesus. For he is who we will be like when we rise again. He rules on high so that we can finish the race and live with him forever. And now he's the one waiting at the finish line to embrace us and to take us home. I don't know what your race looks like. I catch glimpses from time to time and I'm always here. I'm always ready to talk. But I don't know all the struggles that you each face. I know it's full of hurdles. I know it's hard. I know there's heartache and there's pain. And I know there's joy as well at times. Keep running, will you? And run hard. There's lots to be done for the Lord now. There's so many others that we want to invite to join this race with us. Too soon, it'll all be over and we will step out onto the shore of eternity to be with Jesus forever. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for the reality of heaven. 
We have not seen it, but you have promised it to us. And so, Lord, we pray, help us to run. Help us to run in faith, trusting in your promises, knowing that this life will be over all too soon. And yet, Lord, we know this race will be hard. We know, Lord, that it is a marathon. And so we pray, Lord, that you would fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. And keeping our eyes fixed on him, help us to finish. Amen.